You're listening to TIP. On today's show, we've started to reshare some older episodes that are my favorites for a few reasons. One, we get a bunch of new listeners each week, so the new listeners may not have heard this episode before. Two, even if you've been listening for a while, you may have missed this episode when it originally came out. Or three, even if you've heard it before, it can be a great episode to learn from again. If you've already heard this episode or you're not interested in hearing it, feel free to just skip it. There's no harm in that, and you can pick up with our new episodes next week. All right, guys, that's all I had for you for this new intro. Everything going forward is going to be from the original show. Hope you guys enjoy it. It's hard to grow 10, 15, 20%. And if you do, you should be rewarded for that. That that should be a great thing. But that's not happening today because you're in your rowboat and you're rowing as hard as you can to go 10, 15, 20 miles an hour. But you have a 25, 30 mile per hour monetary wind blowing in your face. On today's episode, I'm joined by Kevin McGarvey. Kevin is the co-owner and president of All Out Parking Lots, which is a small business that provides paving and concrete services for commercial lots. Kevin and his partner recently put Bitcoin on their company's balance sheet, and he is passionate about helping spread the message to other businesses that want to protect themselves against currency debasement. During the episode, I chat with Kevin about what led him and his partner to putting their small business on a Bitcoin standard why Kevin believes that this move is a necessity for small businesses to thrive, Kevin's thoughts on the regulatory landscape for Bitcoin, how Kevin stores the Bitcoin on his company's balance sheet, the unique way he decided to reward his employees and attract new talent, and much more. Before we dive into the episode, I wanted to hit on a couple housekeeping items. I wanted to mention that Robert Leonard and I as well as Trey Lockerbie, the host of We Study Billionaires, will be attending the Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting on April 30th. This event is in Omaha. And for those who aren't familiar, all you need to do to attend the meeting is to be an owner of at least one Berkshire B share, which today is trading around $325. Also, each shareholder is entitled to a maximum of four meeting credentials. So if you're not currently a shareholder, you may be able to attend through someone you know. We'll be sending details on this to our email subscribers soon because we'll be meeting up with those in the audience and getting to know some of you and get together. So if you're interested in meeting up with Robert, Trey, and myself at the Berkshire meeting, keep an eye out in your email inbox and make sure you get on our email list. Also, I've been accepting questions from members of the audience. This episode's question is from Eddie. Here's the message that Eddie sent me. Joel Greenblatt's magic formula calculation and logic makes complete sense to me. I do struggle with the notion of rebalancing the portfolio annually by selling losers short of a year and selling winners after a year and a day. I do not doubt the potential results. However, I'd much prefer to be a long-term holder after consuming all I could related to Buffett, Munger, and Pabri. Can you recommend how I can potentially balance the magic formula and the desire to hold long-term? Eddie, this is a fantastic question, and I'll do my best to give you a helpful answer. And just a heads up, it's somewhat lengthy. As you all probably know, we're big fans of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger here at TIP. In the question, you mentioned two different strategies. The first is Joel Greenblatt's magic formula, which includes buying comparatively cheap stocks and rebalancing every year. The second approach is more like you mentioned, Buffett, Munger, and Pabri, which includes buying a great business at a fair price and holding it for a very long time. I believe both of these strategies can be successful, so I would personally recommend going with the strategy that makes most sense to you and fits your personality and style. For me, I prefer the Buffett approach of buying and holding great businesses for the long term. And this is for three reasons. I'll go through each of these three reasons for you. First, the Buffett approach requires you to understand the business very well, whereas Greenblatt's magic formula approach seems to be only looking at companies at a very high level. From my understanding, Greenblatt is mainly looking at the PE and the return on assets and buying the low PE businesses with high return on assets. I think that simplifies investing too much because oftentimes, I think that businesses have a low PE ratios for a good reason. For example, the business might be in an industry with a lot of disruption, such as 
retail malls being disrupted by the trend to online shopping. It makes sense that these lower PE, say retail malls are trading at a low PE because the trend is going online. This is why I would also want to consider if the industry as a whole is growing and if the business itself is growing as well. So not just looking at that high level, but digging in a little bit deeper. If a business has a low PE ratio, a high return on assets or return on invested capital, but has declining or flat revenues, then that is likely not a business I would like to own personally as someone with a buy and hold approach. I wanted to give an example of a stock that looks to be pretty cheap, but isn't a company I would personally want to own to help you understand what I'm getting at. The example I want to give is Best Buy. On the surface, Best Buy looks like a great stock. Their PE ratio is around 10, and they've been steadily growing their revenues for the past few years. However, I want to own businesses that treat their customers well. And my experience with Best Buy hasn't been super positive. For example, I've gone to their store to get like a specific cord or adapter for my computer. That cord was priced at around 40 bucks. I thought that was kind of expensive. So I did a quick price check on Amazon and found a similar item that was priced less than $15 on the Amazon app. So even though Best Buy probably knows that Amazon is drastically undercutting them on essentially the same product, they still chose to price their products much higher than Amazon. Even though my experience with Best Buy might not be representative of the overall business model, that is a signal to me that they don't want to set competitive prices across all their products like Amazon does. And that business model is probably ripe for disruption over the long run in an increasingly competitive business landscape. With that, I believe that Best Buy is an okay company trading at potentially a great price. The Buffett approach flips that on its head as he tries to buy great businesses trading at a fair price. One business I would happily be a long-term owner of is Google or Alphabet. In my opinion, they are a fantastic company trading at a fair price. When looking at our TIP finance tool, I see that Google is trading at roughly a market multiple as their PE ratio is 25, but they are growing their revenues at a rate much higher than that of the market. And I expect them to grow at a rate above that of the market for the foreseeable future. On top of that, they essentially have a monopoly on the search business, which gives them a very strong moat that in my mind is very likely to persist into the future. In short, I am much more comfortable holding a company like Google for the next 10 years over a company like Best Buy, even though Best Buy is trading at a much cheaper valuation today. That's just one example to try and help you understand where my thought process is coming from. So again, to summarize my first reason, I think the magic formula looks at many businesses at a high level rather than understanding the business very well and buying it at a price that makes sense. So my second reason I prefer the Buffett approach is because Greenblatt's approach involves too much trading. This point reminds me of a Charlie Munger quote, the number one rule of compounding is to never interrupt it unnecessarily. At the end of each year, You have to continually rebalance your portfolio under this approach, which leads to capital gains taxes on the positions you are up on. So in order for Greenblatt's approach to outperform Buffett, his portfolio value not only has to be up more, but it also has to overcome that tax hurdle as well. Greenblatt's approach also potentially has you selling losers, which seems pretty counterintuitive if you chose a great business because under the Buffett approach, you would continue to purchase a stock that has gone down to cheaper prices, assuming the fundamentals of the business haven't changed significantly. My third reason for preferring Buffett's approach is because I think Greenblatt's approach might not be as effective as it was in the late 1980s and 1990s. That is because of all of the computers and technology that are looking at surface level items such as the PE and return on assets that are able to arbitrage away all these surface level ways of earning outsized returns. I'm not saying that this strategy can't work, but I think it is probably much more difficult to earn outsized returns using that strategy today than it was back then. And to be fair, the same point is probably true for Buffett's approach in that it is probably more difficult today to buy great businesses and earn outsized returns than it was probably in the 1990s. I think another important consideration is that although Greenblatt's magic formula returned 23% to investors from 1988 to 2005, the formula has drastically underperformed the market since then, which is largely due to the rise of growth companies propping up the S&P 500 index. 
History would tell you that this is likely to turn around, but no one can say for sure whether that will be the case or not, or how long it will be until value comes back around. To summarize my overall thoughts, someone might be able to achieve a higher return using Greenblatt's approach over Buffett's, but Buffett's approach makes more sense to me personally. So that's the approach I've generally gone with with my portfolio. As far as combining the two strategies, like you mentioned in your question, I would recommend checking out the work done by Oakmark Funds. We've done many interviews with some of their portfolio managers on both millennial investing and We Study Billionaires. In my interview with Bill Nygren and Mike Nicholas, they covered their investment strategy, which looks for companies with strong management teams that are usually trading below the market multiple, but growing at a rate faster than the overall market. My conversation with Bill and Mike is episode 138 if you're interested. And Trey Lockerbie also recently had an interview with Bill Nygren on We Study Billionaires. That is episode 430. You can also check out the companies they hold on their fund's website if you need ideas or want to see the types of companies they're finding value in. I think they do a great job of somewhat combining these two philosophies and finding cheap, high-quality businesses. Eddie, I hope that helps. Thank you so much for your fantastic question. That's the only one I'll be answering for this episode. If anyone else would like to ask me a question to air on the show, this could be related to investing, personal finance, or really anything, feel free to send it over to me. You can message me on Twitter at Clay underscore Fink, C-L-A-Y underscore F-I-N-C-K, or send me an email at Clay at theinvestorspodcast.com. Feel free to shoot me a message with any questions you have. All right. Without further delay, I hope you enjoy today's episode with Kevin McGarvey. You're listening to Millennial Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your hosts, Robert Leonard and Clay Fink, interview successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the millennial generation. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Millennial Investing Podcast. I am your host, Clay Fink. And on today's show, I am joined by Kevin McGarvey. Kevin, welcome to the show. Clay, thanks so much for having me. This is really exciting and happy to be here. Let's dive right into today's topic. You are a small business owner that put Bitcoin on your company's balance sheet. And I wanted to bring you onto the show to maybe give the audience a little bit of a different perspective. A lot of people coming on to the show might be studying finance all day, every day, and use this jargon that maybe a lot of our listeners might not be really familiar with. Whereas for you, you're a business owner. You're living a life that's similar to maybe many of our listeners. You want to provide for your family. You want to provide for your company, your employees, your community. So let's start off our conversation to just maybe talk about how Bitcoin even came onto your radar in the first place. Yeah, sure. Like a lot of people, you know, I had a different perspective prior to March of 2020. And then uh, the pandemic hit and everything kind of went crazy from there. You know, the economy shut down. We were kind of worried about, hey, what's going to happen with our business? So, you know, I'm a paving contractor and myself and my best friend started the business 10 years ago. So, you know, we had continued growth and the business was going really well. And then, like I said, in March, everything kind of changed. So my business partner, Marco, and I were discussing, hey, how are we going to adapt to what's going on with the pandemic? And what are we going to do moving forward here? And so it was a few months after that where the government came out with the CARES Act. And in that was the Payroll Protection Program. And so what that was, was where they were giving money to small businesses to help with their payroll and some other expenses that they had. And so, you know, you didn't need to be a, a genius economist to know that it's, it's not just good to give out free money. There's going to be some side effects to that. And so it didn't really sit well with me the first time, but, you know, if they're going to hand out free money, we're going to take it. And so we, we battled through that year, you know, we took a little bit of a loss, like most Main Street companies did. We went backwards a tiny bit. And, you know, there was that K-shaped recovery that happened where it was like the stock market plummeted, but then it just went right back up. But us, you know, us Main Street companies, we were working twice as hard just to stand still. And so, you know, we made it through the year. And in January of 2021 was when they came out with the second round of the uh, PPP. 
you know, and at that point I was like, okay, you know, this is just crazy. They can't just keep printing money like this. And I see that our dollar is getting devalued and, and we have a huge problem here. And so I was speaking with my accountant and he was telling me that his brother was into Bitcoin. And at that point, I'd never done any research on Bitcoin. I'd maybe seen it in the headlines, you know, here and there, but knew absolutely nothing about it. But he was saying, yeah, you know, Bitcoin's going up in price because of all this money printing. You know, people are putting some of that into Bitcoin. And so it's probably something that you should look into. My brother is really into it and he'd be happy to sit down and talk about it with you. So I said, okay, listen, like I said, I don't know anything about this, but I need to find some way to pivot here. So I'll be happy to talk to him about it. So we sat down and he was explaining it to me about how it was this block. And then there was a next block coming out. This guy, the pseudonymous character, Satoshi Nakamoto created this. And, you know, it's this ledger. My head was spinning basically as he was talking about it. And the one thing that he said that resonated with me was he mentioned the name Michael Saylor and that he had put $400 million into this. And I see everything through the lens of entrepreneurship. That's my passion. So when I heard of another entrepreneur putting money into this, that's what really intrigued me. Now, I'm pretty up on the popular CEOs and entrepreneurs, right? I listen to all the podcasts, read the books, watch the TV shows, whatever it is. But I had never heard of the name Michael Saylor before. So I went home and I Googled him. And, you know, he's 22-year CEO of a publicly traded company, went to MIT, so he's a technologist and very successful guy, you know, super brilliant. And so I just started devouring every podcast that he was on, every YouTube video, and was just, you know, listening to everything he said. And that's when it really resonated with me that, hey, Bitcoin is a viable option and it's a great option for us and the situation that we're in right now. And so I uh, just kept going down that rabbit hole. I started listening to your podcast, right? Started listening to some Pomp and some other shows and just really educated myself on it. And, and that's really how it came about. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey everyone, it's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. All right, back to the show. 
I just love how this can be a tool of empowerment for small businesses. You know, if a business's cost is going up 10, 20% and their profit margins are 10% or lower, they're really getting squeezed and they have some tough decisions to make. Are they going to raise prices and have customers upset with them? Are they going to keep wages stagnant and, you know, try and come up with ways to maintain those profit margins? So this high inflation can put small businesses in really difficult situations. Could you talk more about some of the education tools that you went on outside of just podcasting? Are there any other tools that you're able to utilize? Sure. So, you know, I read Why Buy Bitcoin, Bitcoin Standard, you know, I was reading all of the books as well, and then just trying to speak to people about it too. So there's a Bitcoin meetup near me, and I was just trying to connect with anybody and read any book, anything associated with Bitcoin. You know, I was just very intrigued about my... (laughs) I'd be on the computer reading different articles. My wife would be looking over at me on the couch like, are you Bitcoining again? Or, you know, <laughs> and so I was pretty obsessed with it at that point in time. You saw all this monetary easing, the money printing, the PPP loans. What did you see were your potential options outside of purchasing Bitcoin? Is it possible for a business to do anything else with their treasury? Or how was Bitcoin helping you as a business owner? You know, yeah, sure. We had other options, right? I mean, we could take that money. So right now we rent our shop. It's a 10,000 square foot warehouse, uh, an acre and a half of land. And so we could look for some place, right? And we could purchase some commercial real estate to be able to buy. You know, that's one option that we have. But with that, you have a lot of time that you have to put into that. You have to go search. You have to deal with a real estate broker. You have to deal with a lawyer. You'll have to deal with zoning, whatever municipality you're in. You know, there's a lot to that. And there's a lot of expense to that. You need to be able to pay all of those people and pay for permits, whatever else needed. And so uh, that's one option. We could put some of our treasury, which was our rainy day fund. We had a rainy day fund just in case anything were to happen. We didn't think it was a pandemic but that's what ended up coming along. But it could be anything for a small business. You know, you could lose a big customer, you could lose a key employee, different things could happen. So you always want to have that rainy day fund and that's what we had. So we could have had the option of putting it into commercial real estate. I mentioned the issues with that. We also could have just left it in cash. We could have just let it sit there in the bank, but that would continue to lose value with them printing, what was it? I think 30 to 40% of all dollars in circulation were printed in the last couple of years. So if you just left that money sitting in cash, you'd be losing value on that. So those were the options. And then we had our third option in Bitcoin. So with Bitcoin, we really just had to just go ahead, purchase it. You know, it's not super difficult to do. We went through that process. So as I was saying, I was getting my education on it, right? I talked to Marco about it and I waited until I think it was March. So for like a couple months, I was just getting my education so that I was able to articulate it intelligently to Marco so that I knew what I was talking about. And so we sat down, we had the conversation and, you know, he with some thought into it. He said, yeah, I think this is, I think this is the right move for us. And we looked into a couple different services. We chose a Bitcoin only exchange and we went with them. It took a little bit to get onboarded because they were kind of just ramping up their, I guess, like corporate side of things. And so in that time frame, it took until late May. And at that point, the price had dropped to 50% from like 60 down to 30. And so it ended up working out for us. We were able to buy a good bit in June there when the price was in the 30s. And so it ended up working out, but it's not difficult. You know, just same paperwork you put in for really anything else and no hassles, like I was explaining with the commercial real estate. So it's super easy for a small business to do it because you don't have a board of directors and all these shareholders and everything, like a lot of people own the business themselves, or maybe they have a partner or two, and and you just need to discuss it between yourselves. But it's not difficult. And that's why I think it's a great move for small businesses. So is it just a matter of converting that rainy day fund to Bitcoin 100%? Or how did you think about that? Did you just put a portion of it into Bitcoin? And are any short-term reserves that are probably needed for the next 6 to 12 months, is that all sitting in cash? Or how did you approach that subject? 
that is the tricky part because uh, I want to keep putting more and more into Bitcoin, but you can't decapitalize the company. You still <laughs> you still need cash to run everything. So there is a balance there. You know, you have to put in what you feel comfortable with and then leave some to be able to operate the business. Those are our two strategies. We have our operating company, uh, our P&L strategy, where we're paving parking lots, we're line striping, seal coating, we're pouring concrete every day and generating cash from that. But then we're taking portion of those cash flows and plugging them into Bitcoin to be able to continue to grow our wealth here. Yeah, I've listened to many of Michael Saylor's episodes. He is such a profound thought leader in the Bitcoin space that is making some very bold moves with this company's balance sheet. One of his points that resonated with me is that prior to the financial crisis, businesses could earn 5% in a savings account, while inflation was roughly 2 or 3%. Businesses were at least able to break even on their treasury when considering the effects of inflation and the interest rate they were actually able to earn in a bank account. Now compare that to today, businesses get practically nothing in their savings account while CPI inflation is over 7% and assets like commodities, which may be a part of their input costs for businesses are rapidly rising, such as oil, for example. With that, having something like Bitcoin to use as a hedge against that inflation, I believe can be really powerful for small businesses. And it doesn't have to be an all or nothing deal where you either put 100% or 0% of your treasury into Bitcoin. Companies can put something like 5% if they just wanted a little bit of exposure without taking too much risk. I'd have to imagine that with you making this move that a lot of people probably thought you were pretty crazy. I know you stay connected and network with other small business owners. What was your response to these types of people that thought you were pretty crazy? Absolutely. They did think I was crazy and many still do, but you're talking about that problem that we're having. And like I said, Michael Saylor, he gives a great analogy where as a business, you're in your rowboat and you're rowing at 10, 15, maybe 20 miles an hour. Because once you get to a certain point in business, there's only so many times where you could double your business. It's hard to grow 10, 15 20%. And if you do, you should be rewarded for that. that. That should be a great thing. But that's not happening today because you're in your rowboat and you're rowing as hard as you can to go 10, 15, 20 miles an hour. But you have a 25, 30 mile per hour monetary wind blowing in your face. So you're going backwards. And that's the issue. I think here's another great saying that the the road to serfdom consists of working exponentially harder to earn a currency that is growing exponentially weaker. So how can a small business combat that? And that's to purchase a you know high quality asset that's appreciating at 150% on average year over year since inception. So that you're buying something that's going to beat the rate of inflation. You know, your alternatives are you put a lot of money into a, a marketing campaign, you try to get enough other location. I mean, let's just take a dentist, for example, right? You have a dentist and that dental practice is doing real well. It's been up a great reputation in town and it's making a few hundred thousand dollars a year. And the owner of that business, right? They have a couple options. They could keep doing what they're doing, but they're going to generate a couple hundred thousand dollars that's going to keep going down in value. Or they have the opportunity to maybe, I don't know, go the next county over and try to start up another location, which is going to cost them more marketing dollars to get the word out. It's going to cost them uh, a lot to staff it. I mean, it's going to be, you know, a big expense. And instead of doing that, you can go ahead and, you know, you could just purchase Bitcoin and not have to take on all of the risk of all these different employees that are going to be able to make the business work. And there's a lot to that. And I think Bitcoin is the solution there where you have a nice business, it's a cash cow, you built it up, you've grown your reputation for 20 years. And right now with the current economic policy, your business is getting less valuable. And so if you go ahead and put Bitcoin on your balance sheet, you'll make your business more valuable. I think a big concern for a lot of people, at least I associate with, is the custody piece. People ask me, you know, how do you store your Bitcoin? Do you keep it on an exchange? Do you use a hardware wallet? So I'm curious for you as a business owner, do you have some sort of institution custodying your Bitcoin or how do you go about that subject? 
Sure. So great question, because not only is buying Bitcoin very important, but securing it is very important, right? So there are services out there that will cater towards you know the bigger institutions like low custody for micro strategy or this hedge fund or that. And when I was doing my research, there wasn't a lot out there for small businesses. And I wanted to make sure that our Bitcoin was safe. And so, uh, so what we did was, you know, we did a bunch of research and we took self-custody, you know, of our own keys and we have it in a, a multi-sig setup. We use a service called yetycold.com, which is basically a guide to using Bitcoin Core. And so with that, we have a three of seven multi-sig setup. So you need three keys to be able to access the Bitcoin, but those keys are all offline and they're geographically distributed. So it's pretty much as safe as you can get. I mean, I know a lot of people use hardware wallets and things like that. There are some risks there with manufacturer's risk and other things, but the, the safest thing that you can do is use Bitcoin Core and you know hold your own keys. Are there any concerns for you at all from a regulatory standpoint? I couldn't tell you the number of people that tell me the government's just going to regulate it away or it's going to stifle Bitcoin's growth because of the regulation or they're just going to outright ban it. How do you think about that? I'm not as much worried. I mean, there's always been positive regulation from what I've seen so far. The IRS has designated it as property. Again, we're not a, a public entity, so there's nothing there. We're not purchasing any altcoins, so there's no securities or anything like that. My main concern is really just the money printing that's going on with the government, right? Like, I think there's a great podcast. Preston had on Maurizio from Leden, and he was talking about everything that happened in Venezuela. And uh, man, I, it was just really connecting with me because basically what happened there years ago is, is happening here right now. He was explaining how they were printing a lot of money. The middle class was shrinking. There were people bragging about how they could drive their car around for four years and then, you know, sell it for even more than it was than they originally bought it for. I mean, it was kind of like check, check, check of everything that's going on here today in America. So they had a quote saying this idea that you can make money through honest work dissipates. That really resonated with me, right? Like we're doing honest work, but the central banks are making it harder for a small business to go ahead and reap the rewards of that honest work. Like I said, money's flowing into these Wall Street companies that have these investable assets. And you know, you have the bottom 50% of Americans who don't have that. And so really worries me. And that's more so my concern, but I'm not really concerned with any regulation in regards to Bitcoin. In fact, you know, I think it's going to be good for Bitcoin because you know, then other people are going to get in once these regulations come around, the price is going to go up and that's going to be better for us. Yeah, there's a tweet I saw yesterday that showed that the annual inflation rate in Turkey was 54% and the producer price inflation in Turkey was 105%. So just like that alone, those countries experiencing that, you know, extreme levels in inflation, businesses in those countries are absolutely getting crushed if they don't hold either US dollars or even some Bitcoin, you know, anyone with a smartphone that has access to an exchange is able to purchase Bitcoin, which is one of the brilliant things about it is it's a global phenomenon and anyone has access to it as long as they have a smartphone and access to some sort of exchange to be able to exchange with it. I'm curious to talk more about your company specifically. What was the reaction from your employees when you made this move of buying Bitcoin for the company's balance sheet? Sure. What we did was I was thinking of how we can integrate Bitcoin into our business. And, you know, I feel so strongly about it that I wanted everybody to have some. So what we did was implemented a $5 Bitcoin bonus for every employee in the company. So weekly, they'll get a $5 bonus that when the Strike app came out with the pay me and Bitcoin feature made it very easy for small businesses. They give you a routing number and a account number and we put that into our payroll service and it goes ahead and transfers that. It shoots it in as US dollars and then transfers it into Bitcoin. And so, so yeah, every Friday morning they wake up and they get a notification from the strike app that they were paid $5 in Bitcoin. And so, you know, I'm trying to educate everybody on it because again, it's going to be impossible for me to pay them 20 to 30% more year over year, right? It's just not going to be feasible. So the best thing that I could do for my employees is to try to educate them on Bitcoin 
And, uh, you know, I hope that they're not only putting that $5 in, that they're putting maybe a little bit more of their paycheck in there as time goes by and they start to see the value in it. And so I'm working on that. You know, it's a process, right? Everybody doesn't get it right away or understand it right away. And so we're working on putting together education sessions for everybody so that we can continue to educate them on this. But um, but yeah, as of right now, they've been getting $5 a week and uh, we're really excited about that. I love that weekly Bitcoin bonus you do. I think you'll hear from a lot of investors that the best way to start learning about an investment is to get skin in the game yourself. And with your employees, you're just handing them Bitcoin, depositing it into their account. So they're going to be interested in it. They're going to start watching the price. They're going to start listening to Michael Saylor or Preston Pitch interviews and start learning more about it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, there's no drawback to it, right? It's not anything taken out of their paycheck. It's just the benefit that the company is offering. And so we're looking forward to looking into some other stuff as well, like maybe a Bitcoin IRA, something along those lines. But yeah, trying to get everybody involved in it. And I'm confident that, you know, they'll be looking back soon here once the price really rises and saying like, wow, you know what? My employer was looking out for me. They were trying to do the right thing by me. You know, I thought this might have been crazy when they first rolled it out. But now I'm going to go ahead and keep putting more money into it because it's going to continue to grow my wealth. And so, so yeah, we're really excited about it moving forward here. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey, everyone. It's Patrick, your host of Millennial Investing. Every year, my buddies and I do a guy's trip to escape the cold and dreary Ohio winters. Once we pick our destination, without fail, we all jump on Airbnb and find an incredible place to stay. We just got back from an amazing trip in Palm Springs, California, and our Airbnb home was a huge part of creating memories we'll never forget. I loved it so much, I'm taking my family back to Palm Springs for spring break, and we're staying in an Airbnb home my kids fell in love with and picked out themselves. While I was there, I had the realization that my own home could be an Airbnb. It's an excellent way to earn some extra cash, whether you're saving up for your next vacation, paying off some bills, or investing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash millennial investing. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Hey guys, the Range Rover Sport leads by example. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability and combines assertive on-road performance with the signature Range Rover refinement that you'd expect. The third generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet and redefines sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, which offer new levels of comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can also enjoy a dynamic drive in total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. I'm curious, has implementing the Bitcoin bonus helped with recruiting at all? You know, that's another good feature about it. So we recently put up a post for an inside operations coordinator and we had a woman reach out to me specifically saying like, wow, you know, this is amazing. This Bitcoin bonus, it really shows that you're a forward thinking company and that's the kind of company that I want to be with. And then we also want to attract those types of people. Bitcoiners are great to work with. So uh, it works for us in the recruiting realm as well. I mean, if you're trying to differentiate right now, you know, there's a big war for talent as a small business where everybody's trying to hire, everybody's trying to get an edge. And so having that on there separates 
us from anybody else that's hiring out there. I don't know of any other company doing a weekly Bitcoin bonus like we do. So it separates us. It's a differentiator. And we were able to uh, pick up some good talent because of that. I'm super curious about this one. You know, we see companies like MicroStrategy and Tesla and Square. You know, there's a few names in the public company sphere that have embraced Bitcoin and adopted it. But it's much harder for a public company to adopt Bitcoin because like you mentioned earlier, there's a board of directors, there's thousands of shareholders. But with a private company, many times it's held by just one or two people, the ownership. So that's 100% up to them if they want to adopt Bitcoin or not. So are you familiar with any other private businesses making a move like this? Has businesses been approaching you to ask you questions about the subject? Talk to us about that. You know, I don't know of any other private company yet that has done so, except for I'm actually going to be doing a podcast with Ali from uh, Tahini's, the Canadian restaurant chain. So I'm really looking forward to that. He actually bought some before Michael Saylor. So that's really impressive. I'm really interested to talk to him. And then uh, as far as I know, a lot of people that have bought it before me in regards to personally, but not in regards to their company. So I've been talking to people about it, right? I've been talking to, I'm in a group called Vistage. It's a CEO group with really bright CEOs of seven, eight, nine figure companies and been telling them about it. And so there's two guys in the group who have bought it personally and hoping that they do so for their company as well. But yeah, that's all I know as of right now. I'm hoping to get the word out. That's my goal, right? You know, my passion is entrepreneurship and small business. And I just think that this is the best thing that a small business can do right now. And so that's why I'm on this platform and just trying to get the word out here to other businesses. I did have one person reach out to me when I was on a previous podcast. They reached out out to me on LinkedIn. And he was a guy who sells insurance for companies receivables. And, you know, he really liked what I had to say on the podcast. And he reached out to me and said he was thinking about starting a business, trying to, you know, get small business owners to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet. So he's going to try to help them out. So hopefully that takes off and, you know, other businesses start doing it here. You mentioned the networking group you're a part of. Have those guys approached you to learn more about taking on this strategy? And what are some of the big hurdles that they're running into that's either stopped them from not doing it themselves? Could you talk a little bit about some of the hurdles they're running into? So I think it's frame of reference. When uh, the pandemic hit, I was real worried and we'd be talking strategy and they were more calm about it. They were like, oh, well, we've been through, you know, 2008, you know, we've seen downturns before. We've been through 2001 with the dot-com bubble and uh, 9-11 when things took downturn, all those types of things. And so to them, they're looking at it through that frame of reference. I guess for me, I've never had any other economic downturn, right? We started our company in 2012, but uh, I see this as very different. You know, I see this as different than 08 and, and the ones before. And so I don't think they see the problem like I do. And then, like I said, it's just different. I'm the youngest entrepreneur in that group. So the other guys are a little bit older than me, not saying that they can't get it, but it's just different for them. And so I've presented to them and tried to educate them on it, but pretty much always have the same questions, right? Like, can't the government shut it down? Isn't it just used for nefarious reasons like drug dealing and laundering money and things of that nature? They really... You know, you just see the headlines. That's pretty much it, right? And haven't done the actual work to educate themselves on it. And so that's kind of the holdup is, is getting them to take that deep dive to realize, hey, this is a big problem right now. And uh, Bitcoin is the solution. Yeah, I've realized that I really can't make someone get it. I can give them the resources, but me talking to someone for, say, 30 or 60 minutes isn't going to make them get it. I was skeptical, just like everyone else was when we first started learning about it. And then as you see the price continue to go up and adoption to continue and these mainstream institutions to continue to get into it, maybe you dig a little bit deeper into some of the skeptical concerns that people had, whether it be the regulatory piece or whatever. And then even if you know, you still might not be fully bought in, you can still put, call it one or 5% of your portfolio or your balance sheet into it to account for that risk. You know, if you put 1% into your portfolio and it ends up going to zero or getting cut in half or whatever, it doesn't destroy your financial position, but you're still participating in that upside. 
Absolutely. I'm all in on it, but that's where I try to, to let them know, hey, listen, it doesn't hurt to just put a portion in. I mean, there's guys that have, gosh, a lot of cash, a lot of cash in reserve just sitting on the balance sheet. And, you know, I keep telling them, hey, like, this is our responsibility, right? As a CEO, as the president of the company to make sure that that cash is managed properly. And I try to educate them on it. I mean, my process of trying to educate everybody is to break it down to digital gold. I think that's the easiest to understand, right? I know they talk about digital real estate and digital energy, but I think starting with digital gold is probably the best way and and trying to take everybody through like, hey, what is money, right? What is money? What do we use it for? And what are the uh, properties of money, which is, you know, durability, portability, divisibility, uniformity, and acceptance and limited supply. So, you know, I try to walk through those things, try to walk through the functions of money, medium of exchange, unit of account and store value. And so I'm trying to break down how we used gold. We used to use gold because of those. But now Bitcoin is that, but better. It's more scarce and there's a finite supply. They're not making any more. There's only 21 million. And that's what we need to use as a store of value here moving forward. And so I, I try to break it down in that way and also, I guess, you know, the other holdup is, right, I'm a 33-year-old paving contractor. So what I tell them is, hey, I understand, you know, you might be skeptical to take that advice from me, but look who else is is doing this. You have publicly traded companies, you have MicroStrategy, Square, which is now Block, Tesla, all the Bitcoin mining companies. You have hedge funds doing this. Uh, you have banks offering custody services. You have politicians who have bought Bitcoin and are fighting for Bitcoin. So, you know, I try to tell them that, hey, it's not just me doing this. There's a lot of people that are doing this right now. And if you look into what they're saying as well, you know, I think you'll see the reasons. What is next for you and your business? Are you just going to continue to sweep most of your cash flows into Bitcoin or maybe talk a little bit about the Bitcoin Roth IRA that you mentioned earlier? We'll keep uh, sweeping our cash flows into Bitcoin for sure. I mean, like I said, you know, it's going to be an uphill battle for small businesses. So for my business, for instance, gosh, everything is going up. We get emails from our concrete suppliers every other month saying the price of concrete is going up. The price of asphalt is going up. The price of asphalt sealer has gone up. The price of paint, everything. The price of fuel, as far as wages go, it's a war for talent out there. So if you're trying to bring somebody on board to your company, you know, you're going to have to pay more than the next guy is. So those prices are going up. And to be honest, I think Bitcoin is a necessity. Like if you're a residential painting contractor, for example, it's just going to get too expensive for people to want to paint their house, right? Like the painting the house is a luxury. You figure out, okay, you know, I'm really getting tired of this brown color. Like let's switch it to blue. So I'll call a painting contractor. When paint gets so expensive and the labor is so expensive, right? People just they're not going to want to do it anymore. They're going to say, okay, I can live with this because it's too much to paint the house, or I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to do it myself. So like I was saying earlier with uh, the comment that uh, Maurizio from Leden had made, it's going to be hard to make a living doing that honest work. And so I think this is the strategy that you need to implement for your small business. Otherwise, I really think that you know companies are going to be in trouble here moving forward just because yeah, the dollar's getting devalued, inflation's at all-time high, and it's going to be really tough to combat that unless you have assets that are going to appreciate faster than that. And Bitcoin is the strongest asset and has appreciated the most over the past decade. So that's why I feel that strategy to be a necessity. How about the Bitcoin IRA? What does that look like for your employees and your business? To be honest, I'm just starting to look into that. So I don't have all the answers on that one right there, but we're looking into it and looked into a couple different services like Choice where you can still hold your own keys. So I'm looking into that right now, but that's obviously very important to me that you're able to still custody your Bitcoin as well. Before we close out the episode, I wanted to ask you, what makes you most excited about the future of Bitcoin? Gosh, I think there's just exciting things happening every day, right? I mean, look at what's happening right now in Canada. GoFundMe 
shut everything down, right? And they just took people's money and put it elsewhere. But they were able to get the truckers some money by getting a Bitcoin in the Ukraine right now. I mean, people aren't sending gold. They're sending Bitcoin. There's more politicians that are getting involved. There's more companies that are getting involved in Bitcoin. And that's what I try to tell everybody is, please don't focus on the price. You've got to look and see what's happening and you know how undervalued it is right now. So every day there's good things happening in the Bitcoin space. And it's so exciting to me. I, I'm uh, just really bullish on the future here. Yeah, I think if you tell people about Bitcoin and the sovereignty piece, how you're actually able to hold your own keys, they'll be like, what do you mean? I have the US dollar and I have my banks. Like they take care of my money for me. But, you know, you see these things happening in other countries where their accounts are getting frozen or they aren't able to send money to their friends and family because there's a bank run or something. So, with Bitcoin, no individual government company can stop any transaction at all. That's kind of the beauty of it is every single individual that's a part of the Bitcoin network has that self-sovereignty on their money and you know, really their energy because money is a form of storing your life energy and your work. Absolutely. It's the only thing you can truly own. Like Even though you own your house, they're still going to tax you on that, right? You don't own that land and anything else you have versus Bitcoin. You can hold your own keys. You could set up a multi-sig setup to where if somebody comes in and somebody comes into my house and tries to steal my Bitcoin, they might be able to take one key, but you need three, which are geographically distributed, you know, all over the place. So you own it. They can't seize it from you or confiscate it or anything like that. And so that is really why it's so valuable. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on to the Millennial Investing Podcast. I really enjoyed learning from your insights and think it's really valuable that we bring on just an everyday small business entrepreneur that's just trying to provide for others and do good for his business and his family. So before we close things out, where can the audience go to connect with you? So you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, Kevin McGarvey. My company is All Out Parking Lots. And you know you can message me there. I'd be happy to message anybody back. Uh, my, you know, Again, my mission is to help other small business owners. So please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm here as a resource and here to help. And that, that's the best place to get me. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Kevin. Clay, thank you so much for having me. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please go ahead and follow us on your favorite podcast app so you can get these episodes delivered automatically. And if you haven't already done so, be sure to check out our website, theinvestorspodcast.com. There you'll find all of our episodes, some educational resources we have, as well as some tools you can use as an investor. And with that, we'll see you again next time. Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin, and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts, or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.